Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Well, all right, everybody. It's Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Uh, to tune in to listen to some of the best guitar players, guitar techs, amp builders, guitar builders, uh, you name it, all things guitar, you're going to hear the greatest right here, uh, right here in Guitar Talk. Yeah, we've had an amazing run since we launched uh, on the 1st of July. We've had some great guitar players. Uh, we've had some of the best techs. We've had guitar techs for uh, George Lynch, uh, Steve Lukather. Man, we've had amp builders like Andy Foosh and Chad Magnum from Sinewave Amps. Boy, I mean, there's so much more in store. Oh, my God. we got Orianthi, Kurt Flesher, George Lynch. Just a ton of people coming your way. So make sure you're following us on Facebook at Jimmy Warren Radio. Also on YouTube, Guitar Talk slash Jimmy Warren Radio. Uh, also on my personal Facebook, Jimmy Warren you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all those great places where you can keep posted with what's going on. If you miss a show, you can go back and check it out because, as you know, it's on Spotify and Apple and Google and just about anywhere you get a podcast. So enough said about all that. You know what? Today is an artist that a lot of people really, really like. Um, he's, he's a super guy. He's a great player. He's a true musician. Uh, he's a songwriter. He is uh, everything that a lot of people want to be, <laughs> you know. And he's Johnny A. That's right, Johnny A. from the Yardbirds, played with Jake Isles Band and so many others. Uh, an incredible guy. You know, if you don't follow him on Facebook, you really should, because right now, since things are closed down, Johnny A. is on every morning on Facebook, just connecting with fans, you know, talking, uh, playing music. Sometimes he'll do this cocktail thing from his kitchen and, you know, he'll talk and he'll play music and do different stuff there too. And they'll make cocktails and food. And it's, it's kind of cool. You know, Johnny's just trying to stay connected to his fan base because he's got a good fan base. That's because Johnny's a, an amazing guitar player uh, and musician in that. So you're really going to enjoy this because this guy's got a, a wealth of knowledge in a lot of areas when it comes to entertainment and the guitar. So here it is, my conversation with the one and only Johnny A. So let's just jump in, you know, Johnny, why don't you tell me, you know, how you got involved and got into the guitar and, and of course, you know, who were your influences that, that led you in that direction? Um, well, I got into music very early. Uh, when I was about six years old, I started off as a drummer wow. and, um, I took uh, drum lessons as a kid, was in the marching band. And, um, and then in 1964, when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, it just made it, made me want to, you know, just do, you work with an instrument that was more melodic. You know, um, I had a lot, always have had a lot of melody. And was always attracted to artists that had a lot of melody. Um, early on, I was influenced by the Everly Brothers, you know, just a lot of that music of the day when I was a kid. Um, but then when the Beatles came along and a lot of that Beatles and uh, British Invasion music, that really turned my head around and it kind of got me interested in playing guitar. And um, 
I just picked up the guitar when I was about 11 years old, I guess, between 11 and 12. And I just learned, uh, I taught myself how to play, um, and just learned by ear, really. And, uh, that's so the guitar started, I guess, around 11, 12 years old. And, um, there was that transition period from when I was still playing drums and learning guitar. And once I started to make some progress playing guitar, I just, uh, it really consumed uh, 100% of my time just wanting to learn and get better at it. And, uh, I just ended up selling my drum, not trading my drum kit in and getting a guitar. And that's how it started. Yeah. So did you have any type of, or have you had any type of musical training or are you pretty much all self-taught? I'm self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, do you read music or? Not really. Yeah. Um, when I was a, I took drum lessons. I didn't take guitar lessons. I did take drum lessons. So I was familiar with reading rhythms, you know, um, and note duration and stuff like that, beat duration. So I was familiar with, uh, drum rhythm, uh, tab, uh, notation and when i started doing the chord melody thing back in i guess started to try to reimagine the way i played back in 98 um i you know i did go to berkeley for about a semester and a half i didn't last long and you know i didn't go to my guitar lessons but i wanted to go for uh arranging and composition and ear training um and i just knew enough about the notes on the staff to be uh, dangerous. You know, I knew what the lines and the spaces were, what notes they were, and I was familiar with drum rhythm reading. So I just kind of, when I started to do the chord melody stuff, I opened up a book and just tried to learn how to play chord melody without looking at the little boxes of what the chords were. I just was concentrating on chord clusters on the, um, on the uh, staff. And that's really how I learned. I taught myself, um, but I wouldn't consider myself a good reader. Uh, as a matter of fact, at this point, I probably couldn't read hardly anything. So, yeah. Now, would you think that you know, looking back hindsight, you know, would that have been something that you know, if you had to go back and do it all over again, you would have spent some time on, or do you think you know, the way that uh, you know, you know, being self-taught and being taught by ear and stuff like that, you know, is uh, you know, is is fine, is good. Well, you know, I think, uh, what you are is where you've been. So, um, I'm, I'm the player or, uh, you know, I have the musical instincts that I have for better or for worse based on, uh, my environment and how I came up, you know, had Mm -hmm. I been avidly taking lessons and instruction and, you know, was a schooled technical musician uh you know would i have been this i probably would not have been the same musician that doesn't mean for better it would have been better or worse it just would have been different so um i'm not really sure there's a right or a wrong way to do anything i mean if you end up where you want to end up then who's to say what's right or wrong i'm not i'm not advocating to not take a formal instruction i mean in in retrospect i wish i could read better um Mm -hmm. because i think it would have you know, it could get me to a place where I want to be faster, but, um, without, ha- you know, I consider myself, you know, uh, and a lot of people laugh when I say this, but it, in the, in the true meaning of the word, I, I really kind of consider myself a hack when it comes to be a, being a player. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that being a hack is a negative, is a negative comment- connotation or it doesn't mean that I can't play. It just means that 
you know, to get what I want and get to, I kind of have to hack about to get there, you know, um, doesn't mean that I don't think I can play. It just means that, you know, as opposed to someone that, you know, might have massive ear training and uh, massive writing and reading skills, you know, someone can hear a piece of music and because they're so familiar, it's just like, you know, when you, when I hear a word, if you say the word summer, you know, I know it's S-U-M-M-E-R. You know, it's because the training that we've learned how to spell words and all that stuff. It's the same thing as if you had a, a vocabulary as a school musician right. and you hear you hear notes, you know, or you hear a scale or you hear a, a chord cluster, or, or, you know, you might be able to immediately, you know, um, identify it as a, you know, F minus seven flat five or something because you know how the notes are. And, um, but, um, you know, so in that respect, it would have been great to have some kind of training to be able to identify things quicker and in my writing or in my arranging, be able to call on something quicker. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm okay with where I am. Yeah. I feel okay about it, you know? Yeah. You, you know, uh, uh, I, I play, you know, I've been on a few labels and I've played with some people and, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely self-taught, never took no lessons or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, at people that, that, you know, have studied and, you know, really know it because it just blows my mind. I have no way of, of comprehending, you know, half of it myself. So, uh, you know, I always like to ask people, you know, where they sit on that because I find it fascinating and I agree. It doesn't make you, you know, better or not better. You know, I think personally, I think some people that, that haven't had any kind of lessons, in that that are completely self-taught you know have a style of their own and are are more emotional players does that make sense well um you know i i think that's uh i you know i mean i know where you're coming from i know i know what you what you're trying to get at at that but you know i think every person's different there's yeah. first people that have had massive amount of training that are brilliant players and still brilliantly creative and there's people that have had a massive amount of training that can spit out stuff kind of like a typewriter and they're, they're emotionless and the same thing. There's people that have no training that can't play worth anything. And there's people that have no training that just have very soulful sounding players. So, there you, go. you know, I think it just is really all depends on the individual, you know? Right. So, so when you were, uh, when you were young and you were just starting out, you know, not in the beginning in that, but were you in a lot of bands or were you, were you that guy that was just, you know, alone, just playing and playing and playing or a mixture. I've always been in bands. Yeah. Well, my, I was in bands when I was a drummer. My very first professional gig where I actually got paid for, I was nine years old as a drummer. Wow. And, uh, I was playing gigs as a guitar player. The first year I started playing guitar. I mean, I, guitar came very natural to me and very quickly to me. Um, and I actually, the first year that I played guitar, I was playing in a band and we, I was getting paid for gigs. I was like 12 or 13 years old. So, uh, you know, I've been in bands all my life. I mean, I really can't remember not being in bands since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have, I mean, even today, do you have what you would consider like a routine, you know, practice time? Do you, do you spend a lot? I know like right now with the virus, you know, most guys, you know, are, you know, aren't on the road and aren't doing shows, unfortunately, and that. But I mean, apart from that, do you spend a lot of time practicing and learning new stuff or, 
You know, are you just so busy with your career and with everything going on that, you know, it is what it is. And when you get a minute, you get a minute. Uh, well, my touring schedule is such that it's not like, you know, I'm not an artist that goes out for months at a time. It's That's not what my touring schedule is like. My touring schedule is like, okay, I might have a run on the West Coast and it might be 10 or 12 shows. So it's, you know, maybe two and a half, three weeks. Uh, then I'll go to the Midwest for five days and then I'll do regional shows where I drive and I'm still coming home. And so it's not like I'm... I'm an artist that's on the road for nine months and I don't see my house for nine months. Mm -hmm. Uh, but having said that, I do a solo show now. I don't play with a band. I've been just doing this solo show that is solo electric guitar as well as looping. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, it takes an immense amount of concentration to make that happen and, uh, muscle memory. And this is so many things that are coming at you in real time. It's the, you gotta play the parts, you've gotta, you gotta record the loops right at time because nothing's quantized, you gotta step in and out of effects and you're arranging songs on the fly, there's no net, there's nothing saved, there's no pre-recorded samples, there's no pre-recorded loops. So I have to do that show every day whether I'm on the road or not. I, I use, my routine is I get up in the morning, have a couple, and I get up early, you know, I get up anywhere between, and I've always been like this, 5.30 in the morning to like, seven in the morning i'm up and i'm having coffee and i'm usually downstairs in my studio by 7 30 in the morning and i go through my show and my show's almost two hours long but i have to do that especially with this looping show because it's a one-man deal and uh there's so many variables that can go wrong that i have to make sure that i'm as prepared as possible and uh right now this is not really a good time for me because uh I need to make sure that my shows come off without a hitch. I need that routine and uh, that that thing of just doing it over and over and over. And it's one thing to rehearse in a house, in your studio, and do all that stuff. And obviously, people need to do that to keep their chops up, uh, you know, to keep their thing together. But there's a whole different dynamic when you're on a stage in front of an audience. And there's a whole different set of uh, muscle memory that needs to come in and uh, nerves that need to be managed uh, live than, you know, the safety of your own environment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's quite a, a, you know, like you were saying, it's quite a task to take on doing the type of show that you're doing. You know, I applaud you for doing it because, you know, it shows a lot of, you know, creativity and a lot of technical ability and skill and all that stuff and that what what made you kind of go in that direction you know um not use a band and decide to go and and do it the way that you're doing it now well there was uh, there was several things that kind of collided at the same time um first of all i had been wanting to do you know uh, a goal of mine was always to be able to play 100 percent by myself not necessarily as a career just the ability to deliver songs completely by myself. I've always wanted to be able to do that. And, you know, I'd always been, been telling my wife for years, I'd like, I want to do a solo thing. I want to do a solo thing. And I could never quite get it together. It never quite sounded good enough to me. And I'm, I'm very hard, you know, I'm really hard on things that I like and, and I'm really hard on myself because I don't, you know, I, I like to cut away a lot of the shit and, and a lot of the bullshit and just, you know, be really honest about, uh, with an honest evaluation of what I'm doing. And 
if I don't, if I didn't think it was of a caliber that should be out there, I just wouldn't do it. I'm just not that type of guy. Um, so, but I had been wanting to do it for a while and on and off for, you know, at least four or five years before I actually came out. This will come January, come this January, it'll be about three years that I've been doing a solo show. But it was even five years before that, that I've in the back of my mind, I want to do a solo show. I want to do a solo show. And I just would approach it. I try to do it. It just never really sounded good to me. Uh, the looping never sounded good. The, the, the arrangements, I was never quite happy with it. Um, because, you know, when you go out there, I don't care who you are as an artist, you, you know, you, you know, you really are, you're under, you're in scrutiny, you know, you're being scrutinized. You're in the, you're in the, you're in the sea with all these other great artists, you know, so you're going to be judged whether you're playing the same style as somebody else is not. You, you have to be as good at what you do as, someone is someone else is at what they do so mm -hmm. that's always kind of my benchmark is i have to feel like well is this as good as i don't know pick any other artist is at what they do and uh <clears throat> that that's the thing that i i i go by so i mean but I, I said a few things collided at the same time it was the desire to want to do it uh two i was not happy with my band I just thought it was, I felt like the guys were going through the motions. I didn't feel like there was an emotional connection to the music. And, you know, I'll, I get a little bit of that because when they're sidemen, it's not really their thing. So maybe they're not emo as emotionally invested. But, you know, I was never like that. When I played for, for a solo artist uh, and I was a sideman, I was 100, 150% emotionally invested in their music and my desire to make it a great performance for them. That That's your job. That's what you got to do. And I would never mail it in. Once it got to the point where I felt like I'm not really digging this anymore, I didn't stay for the paycheck. I would leave. Um, because I just, you know, to me, music is kind of a sacred, special thing. I never got into music for sex, drugs, or rock and roll or money. I got into it because I love music. Um, and I still feel that way about it. Um, but so I, that one thing was the things that collided was a, like I said, uh, I, the desire to do a solo thing. B really wasn't happy with what was going on in my band format. I was getting a little bored of how it was. Uh, and C, I got a call from, uh, Joe Bonamassa to do one of his cruises again. I've done a couple of them and, uh, I was all set to do it with the band and I got a call from his offices in, um, was in June, I think. He asked me in January to do the ship uh, ship again, and I said, yeah. And then I got a call from the office about five or six months later, and uh, Joe had uh, had not informed the office that he asked me to do the ship again. Uh, and they said, we'd love to have you. You know, it'd be great to have you back on the boat again, uh, but we didn't realize it. We don't have enough cabins for your band. Can you do something by yourself? Maybe a master class or a clinic or something like that. So I agreed to it. I said, sure, I'll do it. And I just took the six or seven months before the date to prepare to put a solo show together. And that was, the, you know, that time period was the first time I did the solo show. And I haven't done a band show since. And it's been almost three years. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And you're doing mostly, if not all, instrumental work, correct? Oh, yeah, it's all instrumental, yeah. Yeah. It's I've only been doing instrumental music for 20 years. Yeah, I started in about 1999. 
That's that's what I had that's what I had thought. And and you know, and I love your work because it's not to me it's not typical. It it's it's I, I don't know. I, I think it's uh I think it's more music than guitar. Does that make sense? Well I'm uh, well it's, it's interesting that you say that because you know, I'm a songwriter. Yeah. And all of my albums really have a lot of my original music on it and prior to Doing instrumental music, I was the lead singer of my bands. And what forced me into instrumental music was when I was touring with Peter Wolf as his musical director and guitar player, I got a very bad bronchial infection and severe laryngitis. And when my voice recovered after three weeks of not being able to make an, a peep out of my voice, I lost my singing voice. It cracks. It, it doesn't have, there's no strength in the, in this, in the voice. So. I had to, I had to do something. I had to survive. I mean, all I did for a living is play music. So, um, had a family, had a couple kids. Um, so I decided I did not want to have a band with a lead singer because the lead singer is the sound of your band. And if the guy leaves, there goes the sound of your band. So I just started to develop an instrumental approach to guitar. Yeah. I never really did instrumental before that. It was always, I wrote, you know, songs and lyrics and stuff like that and uh it was 1998 that i started kind of trying to reinvent the way i played and i recorded the sometime tuesday morning album in 99 and uh i released it myself on my own and then steve i picked it up and it got released on his label and you know i had a number one song off that record and sold about 150,000 copies of that record and, and then put out three more albums after that and um uh, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of been the path, you know, it's, uh, and, and when you say more, more music than guitar, I mean, my focus has always been on songs. So my instrumental stuff is really kind of geared to, you could almost hear a singer singing the stuff, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not, I'm not really a shred type of guitar player, you know? Right. right. In, in the other thing that I noticed about your songs was the, uh, the 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 tone of your guitar was always spot on, regardless of you know whether it was a rhythm part or a lead part or whatever it was. It was always it was it, to me it was just it was almost like pure or perfect. I mean it was you've always had really really good sound, really good tone. You know. And, well, I, pre I appreciate that. I work hard at that. Yeah. And. Um... You know, in the case of the songs where there might be overdubs of rhythm parts or, you know, uh, counter melodies or production parts, you know, my, in my mind, when I'm, when I'm producing this music for me, my music, I'm hearing the guitars as, you know, uh, almost like a little orchestra or something, or one guitar might be trying to emulate background vocals or one one's, you know, it's so, that's how I hear the, the guitar palette and colors like that. So I, I, you know, and then when I go after that sound for a rhythm, whether it's, uh, I don't know, just like a little chimey rhythm thing, I just try to maximize the tone for that and, you know, carve it up and make it work in the mix. You know, I, you know, I've, li you know, I love guitar. I love great guitar tones and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really happy with one of my recordings if I don't feel I've done, uh, the best job I can do. In delivering uh, those guitars with the best tones possible, at least to my ability, you know. Right. And when it comes, like to I don't, I don't consider any rhythm part or any uh, 
subdominant part in in the in in the guitars in the song's production as being not as important as the other. I think they all have the same kind of weight to me. They all have a purpose, and they all should be maximized to the to you know to the utmost, at least in my mind. Right. Now, would would you say when it comes to uh, the development of your sound and that are you a, are you would you consider yourself a techie guy? You know, are, are you using a variety of you know plugins versus analog, or are you doing all plugins? I mean, well, I have a I had a well, I just consoled my console, but I I had a complete you know recording studio that was really an analog studio, but it was a little hybrid. I had a sol- an SSL console. Mm-hmm. Uh, an AWS 948, which is basically an analog console that you can cut, you can control a digital audio workstation. Right. And I have all the plugins, but I also have uh, a ton of you know uh, tube compressors and Neve uh, mic pre's and and you know so I have I have all that Fairchild compressor and you know a lot of analog gear. But um, the, my last record that I did in my home, which was Driven. I mean, that was pretty much, well, it was recorded into obviously a digital audio workstation, but it was all analog gear getting into the digital domain. I did use some plugins, but yeah. most of that stuff were analog, uh, you know, uh, you know, real uh, hardwired gear, you know, it was real uh, reverb uh, boxes and, and uh, real compressors and real mic pre's. They weren't the plugins. Maybe on, um, an insignificant part, like if it was a rhythm part and I wanted reverb, I might use a plug-in or a compressor uh, for uh, a rhythm part. I might use a compressor as opposed to one of my 176s or the Fairchild or a Distressor or something because, you know, I had I had about 15 compressors, but maybe more. But, um, you know, when you start building tracks and, you know, I don't need to use a $2,000 compressor on something that's just a little you know little little rhythm part in the background so um it was a combination of stuff but mostly analog gear yeah the new record will probably be a little bit different you know yeah yeah you know i just recently personally uh started using uh the foosh uh amps through uh the ua uh, plugins and you know I, I mean I love you know Andy Fuchs's, uh guitar amps as it is but you know the sound that you get is just really really amazing and I own several of his amps but uh, is really amazing and that's why I wonder because sometimes you know I know a lot of guys are starting to use more you know they're whether they're using the you know the uh, the FX or they're using a Kemper or Whatever it is, you know what I mean. A lot of guys are using more digital stuff now than the old than the analog. So you're always curious, you know. I got to know. Well, I I don't. Um, my guitar tracks. Um, I've been I've been um, recording my guitar tracks direct since 1992. I mean, I am using amp real amplifiers, but uh, using speaker emulation in direct in. I haven't mic'd the cabinet on an amplifier for right. I can't. You know, in, in 30 years, I don't know. I mean, every guitar track that you've heard on any of my records or the stuff I did for Jimmy Webb or uh, Jim Pederick or Bobby or um, Peter Wolf, those were all direct guitar tracks, including every one of my albums. So mm-hmm. even though they weren't, dig- those were Marshall amplifiers. It's a Marshall 30th anniversary amplifier. It's a tube amp, 
Mm-hmm. But I come out the direct out and go into a Neve mic pre, and I'm just saying they weren't mic sounds. They were direct sounds. But right. uh, but I do for my solo gig, I am using a Fractal Axe FX3 for my looping gig um, because simply it's the it's a better tool for, for that job. It, it pulls off that function better. Oh, yeah. um, and I do have a Kemper. Um, but when I record my real guitar tracks, I, I still use a real amplifier. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're saying when you're, when you're live and you're doing your show, uh, are you, you're using the Kemper live or do you, you also, I'm use using it? a fractal Axe FX three live. Oh, okay. Well, so you got everything that you need right there. Yeah. Well, this is a different type of show, uh, because you know, I need, since I'm stacking guitar parts and loops and stuff like it, sometimes it gets pretty dense. Some of the songs get dense and with a traditional amplifier with tubes, there's not the recovery time on the tubes is not quick enough to handle all those loops. Yeah. And it actually gets smaller than bigger. Um, but the fractal axe effects three was a, a godsend to me because, um, first of all, uh, I could emulate my favorite amp. I could build my favorite amp, which is a Marshall JTM 45. And uh, I could change the way it sags or not sags. And all these effects that are built in, you know, I don't have to have an audio stream of, uh, you know, audio cable on a pedal board. It's all, it's all, you know, inside that box. So it, you know, it's a very quiet rig and so far has been very dependable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think they're amazing personally. So, uh, so you answered my question. You are a techie guy. <laughs> you have well, to be um, to some degree. To a point, you know, to a point, yeah. I don't like to get lost in that stuff. I mean, I, you know, like for example, the, the Axe Effects is an extremely deep box, but, um, basically I just built the preset I wanted and then I forget about it. You know, it's like, I don't sit there every day and tweak with the thing. I'll tweak until I get the amp model sounding the way I want. And then I'm kind of finicky about reverbs and delays. Uh, that's kind of my thing. I'm really into a good delay and reverb. So mm-hmm. I'll mess with those things a little bit. But once it's set and I got it done, it set it and forget it. I don't even think about it again. I don't go in there starting to, you know, per, you know, re-performing brain surgery or anything like that. You know, I'm not that type of guy. I actually, I only get into it enough to get the job done, and then I want all that stuff to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many guys that are just like constantly tweaking their sound and changing their sound you know, searching for something new and different or. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, you know, experimentation is great. Yeah. You know, but I think, um, what's also great is if in your mind's ear, you know exactly what you want. And, you know, if you've got the wherewithal to twist the knobs to get yourself to what you're hearing in your mind, that's the thing. I think where the rabbit hole begins sometimes for some people is that they don't necessarily know what they want to sound like in the first place. So they always are twisting knobs to find something, but, uh, you know, it's that's almost like a never-ending journey because they don't really know where the, the finish line is. Yeah. So with, with me, I already know what I want my guitar to sound like. I just have to find the piece of gear to get me there. Right. Right. That makes... And if you notice, I mean, if you listen to any of my records and – even if you came and listened to my live streams, like you listened to my live stream today and you heard the guitar tone. I mean, my guitar tone is, is probably sounds just as close as it does to my 1999 album sometime Tuesday morning. And they, and they're 
completely different paths to get to that tone. One was a Marshall amplifier through a Neve uh, mic pre to a, a, a Studer tape deck. You know, and this way today was a, a, an Axe FX3 going through a USB audio interface digitally. I mean, they're two different completely opposing paths. One's completely analog, one's completely digital. But I think pretty much the tone print of the guitar is the same if you listen to the tone on like some, if I played you the lick today for Oh Yeah, my single off the first album through my Axe FX3 and you played the intro to the song and the record, it sounds the same to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just getting back to the player has to know what the end game is in the first place before they start. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, so uh, you know, there's people that, that tune in that are in all different stages of, of their playing in that. One of the things I like to do is, is I really want to, you know, help I- encourage or impress upon, you know, people that are starting or, or struggling with their playing or whatever, you know, to be kind of, uh, oh, I don't know, inspired in that so what kind of advice i mean what would you tell a guy you know that's that's trying to you know learn a way his way around the guitar and you know make his way into a band and maybe possibly a career you know, uh, you know what what's just some a couple of simple things that the guy should really focus on or the person should really focus on in order to really be a good guitar player well um i don't know if i'm in the position to give anybody advice but um I can only tell you what, how I always felt about it when I first started. And it is like I had an end goal in mind and I realized that it wasn't going to happen overnight. And there was a lot of baby steps and I, I listened to everything. I mean, I, I like all types of music. I mean, I'm as much of a fan of the Everly Brothers as the Mahavishnu Orchestra or King Crimson or, or, uh, you know, Chet Atkins or the Beatles or, you know, so. I have a very wide musical taste palette mm-hmm. and I draw from all of that stuff in, in everything I do. Um, and I just think the advice would be don't, you know, it's okay if like you're into speed metal or if you're into grunge or if you're into, you know, singer songwriter stuff, but I would just say kind of listen to everything and try to grab the things you like about that one particular thing and, then the stuff that doesn't work for you, just disregard it, but, um, and take baby steps and not be discouraged. Yeah. That's good advice. So, well, I mean, really that was is. just the way I did it. So it's, it doesn't mean that it's the right way. It's just, it's just, I tried not to get, I tried not to get discouraged when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, so many people box themselves in, you know, they, it's like they go through their, their musical life with, with blinders on, you know, they only see one thing, you know, whether that's, whether it's metal or country or, you know, whatever their, you know, um, their boxes, you know, I, I like the idea because most play, players that I talk to that are, are really, really great musicians and that are just so well-versed. They love it all. You know, they're inspired. I like by anything that. that's good. You know, I, yeah. I have obviously have preferences, but um, yeah. I like anything that's done well and 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 seems to be honest and comes from the right place and is and is executed well uh, i like it you know it's good if it's good it's good there's like two types of music good and bad that's it (laughs) 
Well, one thing we can say about your music, Johnny, and your playing is that it is good. <laughs> you, you know, it is it is good. So what's what's next? I know right now is a difficult time for everybody, but this is going to pass. And once it passes, what's next for Johnny A? Well, I'm uh, in the process of wanting to make two albums. One is uh, pretty much what the live show is right now. It's called Just Me and My Guitars. And I want to do an album that's based on this looping show and try to produce that to the best of my ability and make it uh, a, a really great oral oral experience um, and something that sounds uh, deeper than it's done. You know, I mean, it's a live to two track thing, but I want to try to somehow produce it where it just sounds like more than it is. And then I'm, I want to do a instrumental Beatles album in the spirit of, you know, like Hank Marvin in the shadows or something like that. I've been wanting to do that for a while and that will have more of a band sound to it. I don't know if I'll ever tour with it live, but it's something that I want to do. Yeah. So, so I, I wanted to ask this and I forgot it, when, when you're making your albums, are are you doing all the music yourself? Are you, are you hiring out for the drummers and letting them track and stuff? Or are you, uh, you know, you, um, well, it depends. The last album I did driven, I did a hundred percent by myself. Yeah. I did, every, I did everything on it. I wrote the material. I, uh, played all the instruments. I produced it. I engineered it. I mixed it. I edited it. I did everything about master it. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. that's that, but the, the, obviously the, just me and my guitars album, <clears throat> that's a solo thing. So that'll be all me. Um, the Beatle thing, I'm hoping to bring other players in and get more of a band uh, spirit on that, but um, it just depends. I mean, I can job out the tracks to guys that have little studios and they can try to cut their tracks, but I'm such a, I'm so anal about tone and sound that I'm not sure I'd be happy with the tracks that came back. I mean, I'd rather wait till you know, if it opens up and I can actually have people in my studio bring a drummer in here and work with them and, and do it, you know. Right. But I'll have to see. That'll be the second one. The first one will be the Just Me and My Guitars album. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm i very thankful that you took some time out of your out of your day and your, your life to answer a few questions for me. And I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to get to meet you, whether it's, you know, through the phone and that. And I hope that you know that that you'll recover well from this virus thing you know that i know so many people in your industry are hurting from and uh i hope it you know ends soon and you know things turn around and you can get back on the road and things go you know as planned you know for you we'll see what happens you know time will tell for everybody but uh I, listen i appreciate you uh reaching out and uh, including me in, in the uh, podcast. So, you know, you have a great day and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. All right, Johnny. Take care, buddy. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. Johnny A on Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. That's right. Now, you know what? If You can always go back. You want to hear it again. There's some nuggets in there. Make sure you go to Spotify or Apple or Google or Anchor FM. You know, Johnny A is doing a lot of things, you know, uh, virtually online right now. So uh, you want to make sure that you're tuning in to him on Facebook because that's where he does a lot of that at. And I'm sure as things start to open up, 
Johnny will begin to uh, tour again, and you'll get an opportunity to see him. So I want to thank Johnny A. for being my guest today on Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. Now, next week, oh, my God, next week, you know what? This might be a guy you're not familiar with, and you should be. If you're a guitar player, you should know who this guy is. His name is Robbie Hall, okay? Now, that might not, you know put off light bulbs for some of you but Robbie Hall owns a company that makes the ethos guitar pedals the overdrive pedals he makes an overdrive he makes one called the clean fusion he makes another one called the uh, it's just the ethos clean uh they're modeled after the Howard Dumble amps now this guy is an engineer and he has spent a lot of time uh, developing these pedals and I can tell you from firsthand knowledge because I have uh, the Ethos Overdrive and the Ethos Clean Fusion and uh, and I probably you know if I'm going to be honest I probably own all of the Dumble clone pedals that are out there you know from the Dumb Kudo and the Cymbal and the Dude and the you know, Royal Overdrive, and, you know, there, there's so many different ones. And then I also have several what would be considered Dumble uh, amps, uh, Blue to Tone, uh, the Foosh Overdrive, of course, and because I just love that sound. So, uh, but he has, man, he's packaged it. It is, it's a great, great pedal. And so it was really interesting to, to pick his brain of how he put this together uh, what artists, what guitar players can expect out of his players. Now, of course, you know, they're not $40 pedals. You know, they're they're a little pricey. Used, they can still be, you know, more, you know, than than most, you know, in the $400 to $700 range used and that. But they are amazing pedals. And once you have one, once you put it on your board, I'm telling you now, you won't go back. You just won't go back. They're that good. So Robbie Hall uh, is going to uh, join me next week, and he is the man who has developed all of the Ethos pedals. And they're all custom-made. So, uh, you know, it's not like he has an abundance of them. You know, they pretty much make them. And they can make them and tweak them to your specifications. That's another thing that's really, really cool. So Robbie Hall, uh, who makes Ethos Pedals, will be with me next Wednesday. So you definitely don't want to miss this. Now, if you're really enjoying the things that you're hearing here on Guitar Talk, make sure you're going to our website, which is jimmywarrenofficial.com forward slash Guitar Talk Podcast. Or go to Anchor FM, Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. And you can support our podcast on a one-time or monthly basis. Any help? would be appreciated in these days you know we just want to keep this thing rolling and keep great guests coming in you know to inspire you as as a guitarist or to inform you and you know maybe who knows you're hearing your your favorite player talk about things you never heard him talk about before and so uh it's been really cool so make sure that you're supporting us and following us on all those platforms so until then until next wednesday when my guest is robbie hall i will see you guys stay safe And have a wonderful day.